This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. It's the Bartender Journey Podcast number 226. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. This is the podcast that talks all about bartending and cocktails and spirits. Today on the podcast, it's a very special interview with whiskey writer and all-around good guy, Lou Bryson. Lou wrote the great book, Tasting Whiskey, and is the managing editor and a columnist for Whiskey Advocate. This is a great book. On the cover, there's a quote from Charles K. Cowdery. He says, quote, I shouldn't say this is the only whiskey book you need, but it probably is. Mr. Cowdery is also a whiskey writer. <laughs> he wrote Bourbon uh, Straight. Well, I agree with that statement. If you're only going to buy one whiskey book, this is the one to get. The full title is Tasting Whiskey, an Insider's Guide to the Unique Pleasures of the World's Finest Spirits. In the book, Lou explores whiskeys from all over the world. He talks about the effects of tradition, terroir, wood, and weather on whiskey, and even has some cocktail recipes. My favorite part, though, is Chapter 4, The Wall and the Work, The Challenge of Tasting Whiskey. How to taste is discussed, which I think is so important. Learning how to taste is a great skill to have and and a fun one to develop, by the way. It's an ongoing process, a lifelong pursuit, I think. The book gives some suggestions about the tasting process. For instance, close your eyes. What memory do you get from the aroma? Sip, hold it in your mouth for a bit. Breathe and swallow. Do you like it? What do you like about it? And it goes on like that. I think I'll read that chapter again this afternoon and then taste some whiskey. So, of course, Tasting Whiskey by Lou Bryson is our book of the week, and we'll have a link to that, an Amazon link on bartenderjourney.net. Anytime you use one of those links on bartenderjourney.net that clicks through to Amazon, you help out the show just a little bit. doesn't cost you any extra, but uh, you help out the show a little bit, whether you buy that book or product that I suggested or something else during that sort of a session after after clicking through from bartenderjourney.net, help out the show just a little bit. You can help out the show, too, by checking out our tip cup page if the show has helped you out or entertained you or uh, just kept you company. You can help keep it going by visiting bartenderjourney.net slash tip cup. Chapter 13 is dilution, water, ice, and cocktails. So we'll borrow one of Lou's suggestions for our cocktail of the week. It's the Rusty Nail. An easy drink, just two ingredients, scotch and drambouille, in a proportion of three parts scotch to one part drambouille. Lou likes a nice smoky scotch for this drink, like uh, he suggests Johnny Walker Black. By the way, we talked about drambouille with our good friend Vance Henderson back in episode 207. Uh, Of course, in the 60s, it was a very popular cocktail called the Rusty Nail that the Rat Pack enjoyed so much. Go back and take a listen to that. I'll link to it in the show notes. Speaking of Johnny Walker Black, I just got an email this morning. Johnny Walker is releasing Johnny Walker Black Label, The Director's Cut, created by master blender Jim Beveridge in collaboration with filmmaker Dennis Villeneuve. It comes in a really cool-looking futuristic bottle and apparently is going to be featured in the movie sequel Blade Runner 2049. They promised to send over a bottle of this limited-edition blend, and I'll let you know what I think of it on a future episode. All right, let's jump down to New Orleans, where I recorded with Mr. Lou Bryson at the Hotel Monteleon during Tales of the Cocktail 2017. All right, I'm here with Lou Bryson. Thank you so much for uh, meeting me very early in the day here. <laughs> it's 9 o'clock in the morning in Tales, which Pretty is Pretty much anything like... before 10 is early in the day. <laughs> <laughs> you said, how about 9 o'clock? I was like, I'm game if you are. <laughs> so how's, how's your Tales been? It's been good. I've, um, I'm actually taking it a little bit easy this year, but... Uh... You know, I'm getting out, meeting people. That's what, I mean, Tales is really, for me, more about, about networking, more about yeah. seeing people and, and getting in touch with people. And, I mean, uh, after I'm doing this, I've got some interviews with distillers for a piece I'm working on. You know, guys that are ordinarily tough to get hold of, yeah. but they're all here. Yeah. So, right. so they can't say no. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I love your book, Tasting Whiskey. Thank you. Great book. And I, I think that's important to talk about, like, how, how to taste. And it's a skill yeah. that you kind of need to develop and work on, right? You do develop, but at the same time, I mean, and I talk about it in the book, I call it the uh, Karate Kid Method. Um, you know, the the classic thing in the movie where the kids, the, the kid wants to learn karate and he has him, the master has him polishing cars and painting fences and and then he's like, why am I doing this? And he's like, you know, these are the muscle movements that you use for the for karate, and this is why you have to do it this way, and then you're used to it, and you're ready to go. Tasting is like that. You've been tasting stuff all your life. You just haven't thought about it. So, I mean, you know what bread tastes like. You know what pine trees smell like. You know what fruit tastes like. You just don't think about it. And once you start uh, tasting the whiskey and thinking about it, I, I really think you need to just kind of decouple your brain and stop working at it so hard and let it kind of flow by you and you're going to start picking out things i mean some of them are easy the smoke is easy in in scotch uh the caramel is easy in in bourbon uh, the spice and bitter oil is is easy in rye other things you know but it's all an evolution. You get better at it. I think rye, rye is kind of a good example because, you know, p- people often ask me, you know, like, well, what is rye? I was like, well, think of rye bread. Right. What does that taste like? And then exactly. this whiskey's going to taste a lot like that. Yeah, you know? actually, that's exactly what Jimmy Russell said to me. I mean, I still remember I'm, I'm sitting in Jimmy Russell's pickup truck back in 96, mm-hmm. and I'm just thinking like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm sitting in the master distiller's <laughs> truck. And I said, you know, so what sets rye whiskey aside from it? And he says, well, it's it's like like bread. He says, rye bread and wheat bread and cornbread. He said, they all taste different. That's why they taste different. And I'm thinking, that's oversimplifying. But it's not. No, we <laughs> don't know? believe it's I mean, it's cutting it's right total to sense, it. right? Yeah, I mean, as long as you're not having the uh, the seeded rye, which is going to screw things up a bit. You know? <laughs> right, right. But, yeah. <laughs> which, that was my favorite growing up, actually. It was the, mm-hmm. yeah, but... Uh, I mean, you bring up so many great points in the book, and um, uh, yeah, I just want to dive even more into that. It seems a little overwhelming, like you know, tasting. I taste peach in this whiskey, or whatever, you know. But uh, but it's it's a great um, experiment, and it's a great ex- exploration well, of. That's uh, the other know? thing. I mean, there's that you know the old thing about the more you know, the better it tastes. When you start realizing where that stuff's coming from, yeah, it actually does make a difference. I mean, there are there are drinkers who don't care about that they just want to taste it they want to they want to know what it tastes like they don't care where that's coming from but when you start to think about where that does come from yeah you start to get a better idea of how to find other whiskeys that are either like that or even more so um by the way they make it and and where it's made and how it's made and who makes it um and that can be really rewarding uh whereas otherwise you're just kind of I don't know, you're like stumbling around in a bar with no lights on, just <laughs> grabbing bottles at random. <laughs> and and so much of the flavor comes from the from the wood, which is right. Which is, um, I mean, some, by some people's count, I think you even say in the book that sixty to seventy percent of generally the flavor, the which rule is, of thumb is, it's at least fifty. Yeah. yeah. Um, although, as um, I, mean, I, was, I remember, we were having a similar conversation with Bill Lumsden from Glenmorangie. He says, "Well, you know, if it's fifty percent from the wood, that means." 50 percent's coming from other things and you can't forget them either and that's you know i i find that when i talk to um for lack of a better term whiskey geeks you know the people who are really into it and really want to talk about it what is what is their obsession tends to come in waves uh i remember like maybe eight nine years ago everybody was talking about the wood yeah. and that's all i mean and now all of a sudden 
all anybody wants to talk about is the mash bill. It's like if the bourbon distiller does not tell you exactly what the ratios are, they're hiding something. Yeah. Why can't they tell you that? I'm like, yeah. well, why do you want to know? <laughs> I mean, I remember writing a piece. I read about beer as well. And I remember writing about a piece, uh, writing a piece about um, essentially useless questions. I was sitting at a brew pub in Ohio, and the guy sitting down the, down the bar from me, it was a brunch, and the guy asked the bartender, so this bacon, what kind of pig is that? I'm like, really, dude? It was a pig. Isn't it more important to know who made the bacon and what cure they used and that kind of thing? I mean, I understand, you know, in our our days of heritage pigs and heritage grains and, you know, different kinds of distillation, that stuff has a a point. But what are you going to do with the information? Right. You know, if you're just asking to show the guy you're asking that you know about that, that's not – and a lot of this stuff – I think is like that because really the mash bill makes some difference, but I mean, high rye, low rye is about as, uh, about as deep as you need to get in a right. bourbon mash bill. After that, a lot more of it comes down to, uh, what cooperage you get your barrels from, mm-hmm. uh, what kind of warehouse are you using? Right. Um, you know, even, uh, how are you making your yeast? Are you doing a donut? Are you doing dry? You know, that kind of stuff. I think matters more than two percentage points of corn. Right. And yet that's the obsession right now. You really have to look at it holistically. You know what? Everything that's going into the, into the whiskey, um, you know, like I said, the yeast, the corn, as far as that goes, you know, how much malt is going in? Because most of these guys are only using malt for the enzymatic power. Some of these places are starting to put more malt in for the flavor. Right, right. Yeah. And, and for anybody who doesn't know, you're, they're adding malt in there to sort of jumpstart the... Uh, right, the conversion the, from starch to sugar because right. there are enzymes in, in malt. That, and I mean, in like Canadian distilling, mostly they just just add enzymes. Um, but oh, so you, that's like in... What like a chemical? What I don't even know how yeah, we go I mean, about well, sourcing I, such I, a thing. <laughs> you know, funny you should ask because I was at uh, Alberta Distillers in Calgary uh, four or five years ago, and they actually make their own, and it's like these like reactor vessels. They've got um, I think it's actually grown on koji, the stuff they use to make sake, and it produces these enzymes as a byproduct and. You know, you can see this little thread of liquid dripping down from a valve, and that was practically pure stuff. And they just put it in with the mash, and boof, huh. it's sacrifice, and it's it's kind of cool. I remember asking, I was we were down at Black Velvet on the same trip in Lethbridge, and we were talking to a guy who had been at the distillery since it had opened and was still working there. And you know, I'm still. Even now, I'm still struggling with these romantic notions of whiskey making that really need to be put in the trash. And I said to the guy, so when you switch from malt to enzymes, that was kind of tough, huh? And the guy's like, no, it's the best day ever. It's really? Been, yeah. Just, enzymes work every time. There's no dust. Right. There's no, you know, they don't rot. I said, they're great. I love them. It's like, it's like flipping a switch. And the whiskey tastes the same. I'm like... Okay. Well, you know, that actually makes sense. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. so all about, you know, authenticity now. And, yeah. You know, but, you know, there is business decisions that need to be made, and, and uh, you know, it, it doesn't... Yeah, I mean, it, we you know, don't bring so this much, stuff to market in a horse wagon anymore. Yeah. You know? And there's so many decisions that, you know, people kind of think are unauthentic, but it doesn't necessarily make it bad, right? It does not. You know? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, you could go back to that argument about... Uh, 
you know, everybody wants a single malt, you know, blended whiskey is great. Right. Blended <laughs> whiskey is pretty damn good sometimes. <laughs> and, and they'll blend it, why? To be, also to produce a consistent product. Right. Which I think is, you know, I, I mean, me personally, I'm, you know, I, whiskey geek, you brought up the name, but, uh, you know, I, I kind of want to see those differences year to year, yeah. like, like you would with yeah. wine, you know, like a vintage, but. Well, it depends on what I'm doing. I mean, if yeah. I'm making a cocktail, I probably want right. to get the same, same flavor every time. But, um, yeah, I, that's, it's not easy no, because the barrels are not the it. same. It's, there's so much art in this still. Um, well, art or chaos. Art, science. <laughs> yeah, you know, because yeah. the barrels just. Well, I'm sure you've had the experience I've had it where you, there's a, in a side house side. tasting a barrel that's on the bottom and one that's on the top. Yep. They were filled the same day and yep. they taste completely, completely different. different. Like, how do you guys come up with a and consistent the, product? You know, how the do cooperage, you do that? It's barrels from the same cooperage, <laughs> same woods. It tastes different. totally different. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, so that's that, what, that Jack I mean, Daniels in, in, um, tastes exactly the same every time you open a oh, bottle. Yeah. You know, yeah, so, you, and, it you better. Know, it better. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. It's a, um, Scottish distilleries usually it's the it's the blender that's the right. the most important person right. ahead of the distiller distillery sure. manager. The blender is the yep. Yeah, the, the rock star. Yeah, because yeah. they—I mean—they're the ones that the whole whole thing depends on. I mean, you can change the flavor of your blend, but you better be damn sure you know what you're doing, and you want to be <laughs> sure you 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 really want to do that. Uh, and I think that's you know some of the problems that some of the big blends have now, because um, tastes change. You know, tastes yeah, change over yeah. the years, and you got to be really careful changing to meet them. Because you know, one, how fast do you want to do it, and two. Who are you going to lose when you do? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was really interesting, and I hadn't really thought of it until I read it in your book about, uh, like you said, I think whiskey was different 30 years ago when I started right. drinking it, and it'll be different 30 years from now. So Yeah. And we you know, we tend to think that this is immutable. I mean, again, same thing with beer. You know, these guys will talk about uh, an IPA being the, hell, IPAs have changed in the last 10 years. Yeah, right. You know, there is nothing immutable. Uh, you, everything changes. Do you think the... Uh, I, it's kind of common knowledge, I guess, but uh, maybe we should bring it up that you know this whole craft spirits industry mm-hmm. sort of came from the beer, right? From the interest in craft beers, right? Well, and I think it's definitely succeeded as much as it has because craft beer kind of laid the groundwork with uh, the marketplace. Um, I remember, you know, the early days of craft brewing. Um, it was really tough to get on a shelf. Because the guys just, you know, the wholesalers are like, you're doing what? You're right. making beer? No, no, you're not <laughs> no. allowed to do that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and now they've seen it. Not only have they seen it succeed, it's made a lot of them rich. And they're like, oh, new whiskeys? Yeah, bring them in. Right. Whereas, you know, 20 years ago, that would have been a much harder sell. You know, the whole industry is is ready for something like that. And that's helped a lot. But, yeah, the, I, mean, I think that definitely had an effect on the people who started the distilleries. Uh, they'd seen that work. They wanted to try and, and make new stuff. They wanted to try and do their own stuff. And that's the thing. You know, the, the downside of craft distilling is the learning curve. You know, it's steep and it's stiff and there's not a lot of information out there. Right. I mean, you had homebrewers ready to step in. I mean, I can't remember who it was. I remember somebody referring to that as... Uh, bench strength for uh for for craft brewing get all these guys who at least know the basics right i mean let's say distilling is illegal yeah right yeah yeah yeah. you're not you're not supposed to do that at home no no (laughs) and it's Uh, it's dangerous hard to practice yeah (laughs) yeah but i mean i mean you and i both know people are but you know it's not enough that they can step into a 
small distillery and just yeah. start. It's a completely different yeah. thing. Yeah. So that's why we before we started recording, we we're talking about Dave Pickrell and right, uh, right. guys like Teaching that. Teaching people how to do this stuff. Guru of Yeah. <laughs> and you know, when he, he comes really knows in, how like, to do it. I mean as 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 we were saying, he's got a he's got a, a like almost like a flow chart. Do this, do this, do this, do this and learn this and but that's where you got to start. It's amazing. He knows. I mean, he knows like the shape of the still. He, he knows oh, how that's yeah. going to affect the whiskey yeah. and all this. You you said something about in the book, which I found really interesting about putting rocks in a putting. Oh yeah, the old uh, school uh, box of rocks still. Yeah. Um, because what you Kinda what you're really sense. looking for in that column uh, above a pot still and in the column in the in a column still, you're looking for what they call reflux, which is essentially vapor going up. Some of it condensing and falling back and going up again, and the more times that happens, the more reflux there is, the the cleaner the spirit. And that's all the box of rocks is. I mean, it's it's literally a wooden box, a, a big one, depending on your size of still, that the column that the vapor goes up through, and as it hits those rocks, it condenses on them and trickles back down and. Makes sense to me. I yeah. don't know why more people aren't doing that. Well, or is anybody you know, doing it? Uh, now? Actually, I think, <laughs> I think the guy out at Lost Spirits is doing it. I I think, or doing something similar to it. Um, I love that idea. And yeah. I was talking to, I, I, because I read it in your book, I was talking to somebody about it last night, and like, wow, we could do like, you know, different kind of rocks in the thing, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's actually a, a lot of interest in uh, old style stills that people don't even know about. Um, I know um, Leopold Brothers had a three chamber still built, which is something David Wondrich found in uh, historical records. Apparently, most of Pennsylvania and Maryland rye was being made on these three-chamber stills at one point. The chambers are stacked. Okay. Are they all different shapes? Yeah, they're different sizes. Different shapes, yeah. different sizes. Um, you know, I have to admit, I don't know the details enough to really go into it, <laughs> uh-huh. but um, it's kind of a cross between the column and the pot in that it's moving upward and uh, the, the spirit down. is getting getting more pure as it goes up. Uh-huh. I mean, that's the thing. You know, rye whiskey, we think we know rye whiskey. What, what we really know is Canadian rye and really Kentucky rye. And the Kentucky rye, when it wound up there after the Pennsylvania rye distillers started shutting down, it's like the old, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. They looked at that and thought, yeah, we can make that like bourbon. So they just flipped the ratio of the rye and the corn and... I mean, Pennsylvania ryes, Maryland ryes never had that much corn in them, if, if any. And that's one of the cool things that the craft distillers are doing. They're starting to dig out these old recipes and make rye the way it used to be made. And it's really, really different. Yeah. 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 It's Yeah, it's kind of cool to see those different regional styles, yeah. you know, coming back. Coming back. I remember talking to somebody, wow, it's got to be 20 years ago now, um, and he was talking to me about moonshining, which, I mean, moonshining was moonshining back then. It wasn't, uh, you know, a company putting unaged whiskey in a bottle and putting some apple pie spices in it and calling it moonshine. But he was talking about, like, on one side of the mountains in uh, North Carolina, they had one shape of still. On the other side of the mountains, they used another shape of still. And he said, you know, the, the moonshine was different. He said, that's all gone now. It's just gone. And, you know, nobody even barely remembers that there was a difference. And I mean, still geometry definitely makes a difference, and I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's stuff that hasn't even been experimented with. Uh, I remember when, um, geez, back in the '90s, Dogfish Head uh, took a run at distilling, and they, they're actually starting up again. They've, they've got their got their act together, but the thing looked like a Mars lander. <laughs> it was this uh, weird, uh, like circular cone uh, with a drip tray on the outside, and 
It was pretty wild. Never seen anything like it. Didn't see any copper either, which, hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, they were making, they were making hooch, really. I mean, they made a sample of whiskey and sent it up. And we're like, no, no, don't, don't, don't do that. I mean, I think they made gin and vodka for just in their pub. They had a license, so they kept doing that. But now they've gotten to the point where they, uh, they want to take a shot at whiskey again, which some of the places that have money can afford to do it right. From from the get go, I mean, I know there's a couple of places out in the Midwest where, you know, they've got a, a full fledged other business that has some connection to distilling, like they have a grain farm or they have, oh, I don't know, um, like a metal fabricating business, so they're making their own stills, but they have that fully up and running profitable business, so they don't have to release the whiskey until it's at least three years old, and they're doing fifty three gallon barrels, and they're not. You know, they're they're not selling any moonshine, they're not selling any vodka, they're not selling any gin. They're just letting the whiskey sit. I mean, ideally, that's a great way to do it. But realistically, wow, that's hard. Yeah, it's you hard. Know, yeah, big yeah, outlay and no but income but for three years. I know, I know. But it's it's really cool to see now. Like, I, I've talked to several people that, you know, they've, they're farmers and the farm's been in their family for, you know, five generations. And now... You know they're finding ways to monitor. Yeah, you know the, the farm was like not a right. viable business, and yeah. now they're making whiskey or other spirits. I'm actually working on a story now that came out of just driving through Pennsylvania. Yeah, uh, I live in <clears throat> I live in Pennsylvania down outside of Philly, but we bought a um, it was a fixer upper for retirement up in the middle of the state. So we've been making that drive pretty often over the last year, and I've noticed a lot more grain growing. I'm not talking about corn. There's always a ton of corn. But I'm seeing fields of wheat. I'm seeing fields of, of rye. I'm seeing fields of barley. Cool. That was not there before. And I can't believe they're doing It's distilling. It's, I mean, that I know of, I think there's two maltings in Pennsylvania now, you know, little ones, uh, making malt from barley. And it's um, food as well, uh, bakers. I mean, people want the local grain. They want to know what that stuff is made from. I remember talking to a brew pub owner up in central PA like six, seven years ago, and they wanted to do local foods. And he's like, I'd like to do bread, but nobody's doing anything. There's no local, there's no local miller. There's no nobody growing grain. It's changing. And yeah. I think it's, I mean, you look in New York with that farm distillery law they put through. That has changed farming in New York. It's yeah, not just... For the better. Yeah. I mean, it's not just that there's 70 distilleries in New York now. It's that it has made grain farming profitable. Right. Which is awesome. It's great. Yeah. And, you know, and then, you know, and the cooperages and all these different businesses. Yeah, yeah. People uh, are open, open cooperages. There's, I mean, there's one in the Adirondacks. They're um, using local wood, making barrels. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know I talked to a farmer in, in Pennsylvania Guy was growing rye as a cover crop, you know, just something to hold the soil in place yeah. between seasons and then disking it back in. Distiller comes along and offers him money for it. Yeah. And, you know, that changes things. Cool. It's awesome. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's, you know, it's good for the environment, I guess. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're growing something on that land that maybe would have, who knows, oh, just gone to seed or whatever. Yeah, That's yeah, right. totally. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I love uh, going back to the name of the book, Tasting Whiskey. And you, I think you brought up in the book that you need to taste a lot of different whiskeys. Yeah. You know, if you want to, if you want to be in this uh, hobby or business or whatever, you know, however you want to approach it. But I, I, I just wanted to tell you the story. I was, I was at a um, wine tasting, and the, you know, there was like twenty or twenty tables or so with you know three or four or five different wines at each table to taste. And uh, the, my friend I was with said, you know why don't you just find the one you like and buy like a whole case of it? 
I was like, no, you don't, you don't get it. <laughs> you don't get it. <laughs> yeah. I love the variety. I love yeah. that. You know, I want to yeah. taste everything and, you know, try different stuff. Yeah. That's what, you know, these people, any, every time someone asks me, but what's the best whiskey? Yeah. What's your favorite whiskey? Yeah. They're just looking for a shortcut. Yeah. You know, they just don't want, they don't want to do the work. They just want to know what's best and then they'll just drink that. I'm like, no, it's, that's, for, it's more for me, it's about the. But, I mean, I can't even. What's pick the one. expression? It's more about the journey than the yeah, right, right, than whatever, the destination. Right, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, the the word um, smooth. We don't. You you've used it a couple times in the book, sure. and it's it's not some. It's something that um, consumers will go to when they really don't know another word right. to use. Some you yeah. know. So like uh, you know, I find that my bartender friends don't use that word very often but uh do you think there's room for that word is it what do you oh, I definitely do you know and, and people say the same thing about with um with crisp with beer or um okay. what's some of the other ones uh drinkable mm. you know and okay i get that water is drinkable <laughs> i understand that whole idea but you know there is i mean michael jackson used to use the word moorish Moorish? Yeah, uh, M-O-R-E-I-S-H. <laughs> okay. Because it tasted like more. I, I will have another of these. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, um, I mean, I think that's, you know, that's maybe cute or a neologism, but that's the same thing as drinkable. Right. And for smooth, um, smooth can just mean not hot. Yeah. Um, I mean, Irish whiskeys generally smooth yeah um as a class and i think that's why they're growing like crazy mm. because i can't think of any other whiskey that is drunk straight more often maybe scotch but i mean irish whiskey you know okay you have some people are drinking irish and ginger but mostly it's a shot in a guinness you know that's how you drink it and you know when uh when newbies are drinking it straight up it's smooth Eh, nothing right. wrong with that. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, it's an okay word. It's yeah, just, yeah. I think I, I, I just find it interesting that you know it's it's this word that the go to go to word when yeah. people who don't really have the vocabulary to articulate it yeah. further. Well, I think go. a lot of time that's all they're looking for. Something yeah. that doesn't hit right. them in the face. Right. Right. Um, whereas um, I think once you start drinking enough whiskey. Every now and then, you want to get hit in the face. Yeah, right. Maybe more than every now and then. <laughs> right. But then again, I mean, the word smooth does have its place where, like, uh, I'll bring up uh, Knob Creek, which is, it, it's pretty high ABV, but, yeah. man, it goes down easy. And then, they, you know, after two of those, I was like, that is a high ABV whiskey I'm drinking. Yep, right. yep. Yeah, yeah, but it's... Uh, well, that's what I like. I, I go to Kentucky. I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday. Uh, I go out to Kentucky for a... Uh, distillery visit, a lot of times I will drive, because it's a 12-hour drive for me. Although, you know, between getting up early to go to the airport, that's eight hours usually by the time I get, and I got my own car, and yeah. I can take whiskey home, like, oh, by the well, case. Right. So, that's true. <laughs> I go out there, and I, I'll get, there's a, a bonded that I get that I can only get there, and I'm going to be a jerk and not say the name, because I don't want a bunch of people drinking it. Um, <laughs> But it's it's a slap in the chops, yeah. and one I like that because sometimes I, I want a whiskey with some authority. I just want something that's you know punchy and good. The other thing is it's great in a cocktail because it doesn't dilute. You know, it stays yeah. punchy even even I'm in water and ice. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean there's 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 a whole bunch of dis different whiskeys for a reason. Yeah. You know, not everybody's the same. Not everybody's drinking occasion is the same. Uh, what is, I, I've asked this question so many times and I've looked it up, but I can never remember. What is the definition of a bonded whiskey? <laughs> oh, sure. Um, 
Well, it was originally put in place because there was so much uh, crap whiskey on the market. Um, to be bottled in bond, a bourbon has to be at least four years old. It has to, um, well, it used to be that it was uh, it had to be aged in a bonded warehouse, but that's been largely relaxed because nobody does bonded warehouses anymore. That was some government owned. Yeah, there was the government had the lock, and there yeah. was a guy that you had to go to him because he had the key. And that was, <laughs> I think that was done away with in the 80s or late 70s, I can't remember. But interestingly, it all has to be made at the same place. It all has to be made, uh, all the whiskey in the bottle has to be made in the same season, winter or summer. Uh, there's only two distilling seasons. And finally, it all has to be made by the same master distiller, which I thought was, you know. So when you get down to it, it's actually much more restrictive than single malt. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. Totally. And yet, it's fallen out of favor, and usually they're just really cheap. Yeah. I mean, that one that I'm going out and, and buying, it's like 22 bucks a handle. Huh. Yeah, it's just crazy. <laughs> Amazing. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, the last time I was out in Kentucky, I brought back four handles. Um and I've got I've got one up there at the uh, fixer upper we're working on just for you know when you hit your th- thumb with a hammer that's a that's a good thing to have. Ouch! Uh, yeah, I need some whiskey. I need some whiskey. <laughs> what what's your thoughts on uh, the sort of new category of American single malt? Oh, um, actually, still kind of tasting my way through that. Uh, there's a, a lot of variety there because a lot of people have a lot of different ideas. Yeah, um, I think American single malt is. I don't want to say crippled, but I think restrained by the idea that you have to have it in new oak, um, which, I mean, the Scots don't do. It's all used oak for them. And I think the, you know, the barrel kind that's of a regulation? overwhelms things. Yeah, but that's it's a labeling regulation. And again, like I said, this is why I come to Tales to talk to people. We are talking about the whole straight whiskey thing on a label. And for the longest time, people were obsessed about that. It's like, no, we got to get it two years so we can call it straight on the label. I'm like, guys, consumers have no idea what that means. They, they don't know what it means. They don't, they don't, they don't, care. don't care. Exactly. They don't care. <laughs> you know, to be honest, you don't, you don't really have to call it whiskey. Okay? You can call it, like, barley drink, and they'll find it. Barley drink. You know? That may be an exaggeration. But, um, yeah, you know, because there's this whole standards of identity that the um, ATF, now the TTB, have. And, like, you know, what has to be done to your spirit before you can call it bourbon or rye whiskey or they have a qualification for malt whiskey. Do, okay. um, yeah, and one of the things is it's got to be in a new charred oak barrel. And that's, you know, right there you've really directed the flavor. So some of these guys are just like, well, you know what, we don't have to do that. <laughs> and they're starting to use some used cooperage, and it's it, it's going to make a big difference. This is it's evolving. Yeah, I guess yeah. after all that, wow. really, what I can say is it's evolving. Uh, I mean, I'm going out to uh, actually, I'm, I'm going home Saturday night and s- Sunday afternoon. I'm flying out to Washington to visit Westland, uh, yeah. which I mean, are making some really Great good stuff. single malt, Delicious. and uh, we're going out there. For, I'm going out for the uh, barley harvest. They've been uh, growing some heritage strains of of barley. You know, take a look at that and uh, see what's, you know, differences in flavor. I mean, they did that uh, Garyana oak aging, uh, you know, the Oregon white oak, and it's you know, different flavor. Yeah. 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 So, and, then, and again, that's, you know, local is becoming much more important than organic ever really did to people that are buying, I think, finer stuff. Um, 
I mean, there were a couple of organic breweries, still are. I mean, Peak is doing a nice job, but I don't think people swarm to an organic brewery, organic distillery, because there's, I mean, I think Wiggle in Pittsburgh is mostly doing organic grains for their, for their whiskeys, um, if not all. But I think people are much more drawn to the local thing and, you know, the, well, where was thing, the grain you know, grown? You know, yeah. you're supporting people that are yeah. near you. You're supporting exactly. the environment because it doesn't have to be shipped from, yep. you know, a million miles away. Yeah. And, and it's, um, yeah, it's a good yeah. thing. Everybody's talking about it, too. I mean, sustainability is the, yes. the hot word yes. right now. Yeah, in, if there's anything in, that's as, as important as local, it's, it's sustainability. People, and, and the thing is, I think people get that. You know, local is something you can put your hands on. Organic is a label, and you're not really sure what the label exactly yeah, what means. Does that and mean? why do they so use this one, using, and why do they use that one? And so they're not using some spray that I don't know what 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 it was yeah. to begin with. And okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, such a pleasure to meet you. I won't keep you any longer. Thank you, sir. Likewise. Thank Will you, you sign my book? Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. That was fun. I really enjoyed that chat. Many thanks to Lou for meeting me early in the morning to record with me during Tales of the Cocktail. So I highly recommend Lou's book, Tasting Whiskey. You can find a link to it on bartenderjourney.net in the posting that goes along with this show. Hey, stand by for our toast, but first, I'll tell you, if you want some great online learning, check out the Mixology Certification Program from our friends at A Bar Above. With the discount code BARTENDERJOURNEY, you can save 20% off this course, and you'll learn a lot from this course, and you'll take a test at the end, and assuming you pass, you'll get a certificate. You can do it from anywhere, anytime you want. So check it out. You can just go to abarabove.com, and you'll see Mixology certification on the top, and just use our code BARTENDERJOURNEY without a space to save 20%. We'll have a link to that on, on the website as well. Hey, feel free to get in touch with me for any reason at all. You can go to bartenderjourney.net slash contact, and uh, I'd love to hear from you for any reason at all. If you have questions, suggestions, or if, uh, you're, if you're with a brand and you're interested in sponsorship, I would definitely love to hear from you. So please get in touch. All right, time to toast, and since we were talking whiskey today, I'll toast you the way they do in Scotland and is popular in whiskey circles by simply saying, Slancha. Cheers, we'll see you next time on the Bartender Journey Podcast. <laughs>